The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Amen. As you're being seated, you can find your place with us there in that text in Titus. Um, invite you to open up your Bibles to that. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Um, maybe you're here, you just didn't bring your copy. There should be one of these hardback, black or blue ones. I invite you to grab that. Um, use that. I think we're on page 998, if that makes it easy for you. But if you're here and you don't own a copy of, of Scripture, we would love to just give you this. So find one around you that you like, whether black or blue. Take it home with you. You don't need to tell us about it. It's our gift to you. We've had the privilege of giving away cases of these, and we love it. So please grab one if you don't have your copy. Like I said, we're going to be in Titus. We are going to be in chapter 1. Um, We've been working through this chapter over the last couple weeks, and uh, we're going to continue in this work today. We've talked about the call of the church, the people of God, um, to be to proclaim and protect the gospel in a culture that opposes it, in a culture that the gospel doesn't fit in nicely. We've talked about our calling to not run from the world and hide from it and to not run to the world and embrace it, but our calling to be in this world yet not of it, to be the countercultural movement that Christ has called us to be, to be sent in this world as ambassadors. We've talked about this. This is our mission, our purpose as the local church. And because of that mission, what we talked about last week, what we started to talk about last week is that leadership matters. Uh, Specifically, leadership in the church I mean, leadership matters on all levels, by the way, but as, as Paul starts us in this letter, it's, he's dealing with the church, and because leadership matters so greatly, Paul then gives Titus qualifications. He says, look, if you want to know who, will, who could lead the church faithfully, let me show you what to look for, and Paul says, look at the man's home, his marriage, and his family. Look at the man's character those vices and virtues that we talked about last week. Look at the man's devotion to the proclamation and protection of the gospel. Paul says, Titus, start here, because leadership matters. Start here. And if you want to know the man who's going to lead the church well, start here. Look at these things closely. Leadership matters. Leadership in the church matters. And this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 10. Um, Paul here is going to focus in on that third, that third um, qualification, the elder's devotion to the proclamation and protection of the gospel. He's going to focus in on that a little bit. So why does it matter that we have leadership in the church like this? Well, Paul, let's just get right to work in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, for, or because, this is why it matters, because there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. So insubordinate, this is kind of a, a term that, that deals with um, a reference to those who refuse to submit to authority, kind of undisciplined, unruly, disobedient. He says empty talkers, this is the, a reference to those who talk a lot idly, 
Um, one of the, the most common ways that this, is, that this is referred to are windbags. I thought that was a little too in your face there, but windbags, that does say it well. Um, so insubordinate windbags, but not only that, um, deceivers, and these are people who are intentionally misleading, intentionally giving a version of the truth that would best fit their agenda. So not only is it idle talk, but it's damaging talk. And so leadership in the church, Paul is saying, must have a devotion to the gospel, an ability to proclaim and to protect the gospel. Why? Because there are those in that are insubordinate, deceiving windbags, is Paul's words. And so let's not miss this, though. Who is Paul talking about here? Is Paul talking about those out there? Is Paul talking about those out there in the culture? I I don't believe he is. I believe here Paul is talking about those within. Let Let me, let's continue. For there are many insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. This circumcision party is a church that, or is a group that was in the church. This is not pressure necessarily from just all out there. This is not pressure from the culture out there. This is pressure, church, from within. This is the pressure from within the church. Um, People within the church who are taking the ways of the culture and bringing it right on in. It's incredibly dangerous. And because of this, Paul says they must be silenced since, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what, ought not to, um, what they ought not to teach. So if we can just back this up, pull it together here, they, the insubordinate, those who reject authority, empty, idle talkers, deceivers, are within the church and their influence is spreading in this church, causing damage, collateral damage being done, where whole families, Paul says, are being upset and drugged through this. They were being upset. And this opposition from within the church was dividing the church, and Paul says these people must not be allowed to continue in this. They must be, as Paul says, they must be silenced. Now, Paul's here going to connect the dots for us because he's going to connect the dots between what was happening from within to the culture out there. And one way we can think about this is, is that the church was being attacked from within and those attacking from within were the ones who were being affected by the culture the most. And so here Paul quotes the most famous poet philosopher of ancient Crete, um, a man named Epaminides. I got it right, I think. Um, and, and this is, we have record in history of this philosopher, and uh, you can read his work, and this is a direct quote from his work that says, one of the Cretans, Epaminides, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, and that testimony, that was true. Paul says, hey, one of your own said this about you, and he was right. And, and here's the point here, is that the world was seeping in. The call is to be in the world, but not of it. And Paul says, 
Church, you are in Crete, and unfortunately, Crete is in you. And because of this, Paul says in verse 13, here's what the leaders of the church must do. Here's what they must be able to do. In verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. Paul says rebuke them, and then he adds the word sharply. It's, it's a word meaning rigorously. Paul says, rebuke them, but not just rebuke them, rebuke them sharply and fully so that they may be sound in the faith. Comes directly back to the devotion to the gospel, to proclaim it, to protect it, and it matters. The primary objective here for Paul, in other words, is that they may be sound in the faith. Now, let's um, pause and fast forward to 2019. I almost said 2020. That was that's scary. 2019, North Central San Antonio. Um, we don't, as far as I know, have a circumcision party. If I do, if we do, and you're here in the church, I, I did not know that about you. Um, I don't see us wrestling with um, Jewish myths, as, was, as Paul says, but we have our versions of this. And what I want us to see is we do have common distortions of the gospel. We do have and we do see the ways that the gospel has been modified culturally. We do see that. Um, let me give you a few examples to get our wheels turning. Um, the prosperity gospel. The idea that God is just wanting to give you your best life ever right away, right here, right now, that you would be ultimately happy and healthy and wealthy, and, and the key to that is to just give more. And everything you give, you're going to get back in cars. Um, that's garbage. It's, it is garbage. It is a false gospel. It is a false gospel, and, and in many ways, this false gospel, specifically prosperity gospel, has been used to take advantage of people. Paul says, just like he says, teaching for shameful gain, well, that's exactly what we have seen through this false gospel that has been proclaimed. It is not the gospel. It is a false gospel. Let me give you another one. It's not just prosperity gospel. Um, materialism. The idea in materialism is that there is a relentless pursuit of things, that we would get more and more. And we're spurred on with this idea that when I get that, then then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be complete. If I could only attain, I will be happy when I get fill in the blank. And it's just this relentless pursuit of things. And if we are not careful, church, we can start teaching that to ourselves. It's a false gospel. Jesus says, I have given you all that you need in me. It's a false gospel. 
Let me give us one more. Um, cultural Christianity, or what can be called nominal nominal Christianity. This is the false gospel that would lead us to believe that we are Christian because of our family lineage, our nationality, our Christian-ish subculture that we've chosen to identify with. Um, some, maybe you take a survey for something and you check religion and you check Christian and, and believing that that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not. Um, it's, it's, it's not, I could say a lot here, but I don't want to, I don't want to get us too far into the weeds here, but following Jesus, being a disciple for Jesus in our culture is not just affirming it on a survey and posting a, an inspiring God Instagram once a month on your feed. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. It's not what it means to follow Jesus. In this, in this sense, this false gospel says you can profess to know God with your words, yet deny him with your life and your walk. Paul, by the way, is about to get to that. But these kinds of distortions of the gospel, they come in so many different shapes and sizes, but their destruction is just as serious. And you might say, well, well pastor, why'd you choose those? Why'd you, why'd you choose those? Why did you bring those up? Listen, I think we would be kind of blind if we didn't see these. There are others, but if, as we look here in our community, North Central San Antonio, um, Stone Oak, um, I believe that these false gospels has been, have been made pretty prominent in our community. There are others. There are others. But because of that, I think it's smart for us, it's good for us to just say, hey, we see you. What I mean by that is if your car was getting broken into in the parking lot, this is a terrible example, but hopefully you'll follow me, and um, you see the people who are about to do it, and they're just kind of walking around, like looking at your car, um, you would do well to say, hey, I see you. Maybe flip on a light. Turn on the light on that. Call it out. I, I see you. Well, collectively, I'd like for us to just say, hey, I see you. Turn on the light. Turn on the light. I see you. And I'd like for us to see something together here as well. I think it is, honestly, it's, it's easier and maybe a bit more fun, especially if um, Stone Oak Bible Church is not your first church you've ever been a part of. For some of you, it is, and this might be not as much of a temptation for you, but if you're here and this is not your first church to be a part of, um, it is a lot easier, oh, it's so much easier, to read a text like this or others and to say and to think, wow, how true that is for those heathens out there, that, uh, that, uh, those, that other church, I mean, they are crazy, just crazy, and they don't see this, and how true is it for them? Um, those guys are crazy. And churches don't make this better either because there's a lot of times that churches will put down other churches to build themselves up. That does not help what I'm talking about here. But what I am saying is it's easier for us to think about the them when we read a text like this. This text, though, doesn't call us to read this with the them in mind. Them is not what's in play here. What I, here's what I mean. This text is about 
that calling for the church to identify leaders from within the local church who will be responsible to proclaim and to protect the gospel in that local church. And as simple as it sounds, we are not going to be held responsible for the them. We are going to be held responsible for the us together for what we are doing. We are going to give an account for this church. We are going to be responsible in this church. In the same way, you are going to give an account, not for them, but for you. For you. And together, we're going to stand before the Lord for this church. Are we faithful to the gospel? Are we faithful to proclaim it? Are we faithful to protect it? Are we guarding against false gospels? Are we correcting those within not necessarily those out there first, but, but in here. Here's my, here's my reason for bringing this up. This is so often how the enemy decides to attack the church. As we look in church history, we have thousands of years of church history that show us so many times that the church has endured insane persecution. Opposition. I mean, hard opposition to the church. We have seen the church be persecuted from governments, from cultures. And do you know historically what tends to happen when that happens? As we look at history, what tends to happen when the church gets pressured and persecuted, historically, that kind of spreads the church. Historically, it's like fanning a flame when that happens. All great church planting movements can tie themselves back to some form of persecution, including the early church in Acts, by the way. It tends to spread. Persecution causes somehow, outside persecution, somehow just spread. More churches are planted and more gospel work is done. And, and But honestly... What is often so much more successful as an attack from the enemy is those attacks from within. When the enemy can cause division and strife and to attack from within, then all of a sudden that gates against whom the gates of hell will not prevail, all of a sudden it is weakened from within. And the reason I say this is because I see a lot of unity in our church right now. I love it. I praise God for that. But I know we've gone through seasons like this, and I know that it is the enemy's plan to take us right back into those kind of seasons because this is his plan to do for every church. And as we navigate this, how are we to navigate it? It's found right here. We navigate this. We protect against this through the proclamation and protection of the gospel. What I mean by this, it is found we are able to protect against this as we establish godly leaders who take this calling seriously. In fact, let me break this down in two ways. So the application of this text is really clear when we think about elders. In some ways, we're separated by 2,000 years in this text. And yet it's apples to apples as we, as we look at this. Because 
on the one hand, as, as we look at this, we, we think about, we process, we apply this text with elders in mind, with current elders, potential elders, and future elders in mind. That they would take the call to proclaim and to protect the gospel seriously, and they would do it well. That they would proclaim the gospel in all spheres of their life, from the home, to the office, to the neighborhood, to the church. That the gospel would be known. That is why we are here. That is why we are breathing. And our elders must set the pace in gospel proclamation. Have to. The church is built on this. To proclaim the gospel in the local church is to build the local church. And it's not just gospel proclamation, though. It's also gospel protection. It is no small thing when the gospel is modified, changed, or distorted. So Paul says in this text, it is these men, these elders, must protect and guard against this the church is being impacted. Uh, Paul says whole families are being upset by this. So elders, future elders, potential elders, for all who have the desire to protect the church, the most important way to protect the church, the local church, is to protect the gospel in the local church. I say it again. The most important way for us to protect the local church is to protect the gospel in the local church because the gospel is our foundation, our everything. It's what binds us together and gives us our unity. We proclaim the gospel in the local church and we build the local church. We protect the gospel in the local church and we protect the local church. But as I said as we wrestle with this text, though, it's not just for elders. I want us to see this. It's for all of us. We see this in the Cretan church. For there are many who are insubordinate. We see many empty talkers. We see deceivers. We see division among parties in the church. I don't want to get political, but we have a little experience with divisions based on parties. Whole families being upset whole families being led astray and all of this being done for selfish gain. And we see as a result people being led away from the truth of the gospel. As members of the local church, as members of this church, as Stone Oak Bible Church, our call is to protect against this. The call to protect the gospel in the local church is for the elders, but it's not for the elders exclusively. The call to proclaim the gospel, the call to protect the gospel in our church to each other, that is your calling as well. This is how we are united. This is how we lead our church to be this countercultural movement that we've been talking about that draws our community to Christ. You know, I, I'm going to call an audible. Um, I was supposed to get to the end of this chapter. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a bit of an audible here for a second. Um, we're coming back. It's so good. So good. We're com we'll come back to it, maybe not today, um, but it's so good. And instead, um, I'd like to read you something from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, this is Paul, St. Paul, writing to a different church here in the church of Ephesus. And he says, I therefore, in verse 1, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
And then listen to this. This is God's word to us, to you, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As I think about our church, we have one thing that unites us, one thing. We say it often, we are gospel-centered and intentionally simple. This is why, because this is our everything. I want to, as I read that, did you hear all the ones and alls? Um, I looked at this, there are 43 words in the English translation, the ESV translation. 43 words in these three verses, or verses four through seven. Of these 43 words, 11 of them are the word one or all. So that means, just take this in, that means that's right at 25%, no math man, but that's a quarter, that's one out of four. If you have four verses of scripture and one word is repeated every fourth word, Paul is telling us something. Paul is telling us something, and it's the same thing. The reason I wanted to bring this out here, it's the same thing that Paul is telling us in Titus. It's the same thing Paul is concerned about in in Titus. The unity of the church is found in the unity around the gospel, and it matters. It matters. One Lord, one faith, one hope, one God, one gospel. And it's our grand and beautiful mission as the church to proclaim and protect that one gospel, to stand on it. And I wanted to bring this out because I believe that the enemy wants one or both of these things to be true. Number one, that we would be divided. That we would not be united in the gospel, that we would give ourselves to false gospels and schisms, and as it says in Titus, that whole families would be upset, that there would be empty talking and deceit and insubordinance. This is the enemy's plan for the church in Crete. This is the enemy's plan for the church, period. More specifically, this is the enemy's plan for our church. This is what he desires for us. That's number one. But number two, I've held up a one, you know what I mean? Two. He would be just as happy. He would be just as happy to see us united around something else, something other than the gospel. He would be just as happy if we would all unite around something else, find our identity together in something else, find some other false gospel, some other thing that we unite around. He would be just as happy. Paul says in Titus 1.14, devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. In other words, to false gospels. The enemy wants to see us divided in the gospel and united in false gospels. One or the other, and in most cases, both. The call for us here, church, is to keep first things first together, to keep unity by being firmly rooted in who we are in Jesus and what Jesus has done in the gospel 
Not passively, but intentionally and actively. And I want to paint a picture for you of what this could look like. A church who faithfully proclaims the gospel to each other. A church who cares for each other enough to protect the unity that we have in the gospel. A church who does not even entertain slander or empty talking or deceit. A church who is not distracted or sidetracked by what is secondary so much so that we fail to see what the gospel is calling us to. That more of our conversations would linger and dwell on what Christ has done. That we would see it more. And because of what Jesus has done, that we would then encourage each other more. Give more. Love more. Encourage each other, each other, and then at the same time calling out sin in each other with radical love and grace and honesty. Enjoying God's good gifts together as the church, but always in them pointing up and giving thanks. This is the kind of people we're called to be. This is the kind of unity that we are called to have. That we would be a people from all walks of life. People with little, people with much. People from different cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, no matter who you are, that you're invited into that through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to be. That is what we are invited into. But not only are we invited in, we are called and invited to participate. And that is only possible through the gospel. It's only possible through Jesus who came to die for sinners to take our punishment, giving us his righteousness, to take our death through his death, to give us life through his resurrection, to call us children of God, forgiven, loved, redeemed, adopted. This is the gospel, and this is the unity that we have. And because of this, to proclaim the gospel in the local church is to build it up. To protect the gospel in the local church is to protect it. So although this text is specifically written with elders in mind, um, the calling of proclaiming and protecting the gospel is not limited to just elders. We're called to lead out. Elders are called to lead out in this, but it is not their calling alone. And I believe this has to start on a personal level. I want to ask you a weird question. How often do you proclaim and protect the gospel in your own life? I know it sounds weird, but think about it. How often do you proclaim and protect the gospel in your own life? Let me give you an example of why this question matters. Uh, it's a, my son found out that he loves muscle cars. Um, random. And... Um, he really loves the Dodge Challenger. I mean, he loves it. He started drawing it. He starts trying to build it he st- with Legos and loves it. And he started to notice them on the road, like all the time. And um, before this moment, this was a few weeks ago, maybe a little more, but before this moment, I assumed that I saw maybe one or two Dodge Challengers while driving around in our community. After this moment, I realize that I see about 326 Dodge Challengers every time I drive anywhere. 
it was crazy. I mean, they are everywhere. At one light, I remember it was, it was right off Stone Oak, and I remember Micah saying, you know, Daddy, there's a yellow one. Hey, there's a red one. There's a black one behind us. I'm like, what is happening? Was it always like this, right? I looked around. You realize you're surrounded with them, and the question is, what changed? What changed? I mean, was there suddenly an uptick in the presence of Dodd's challengers in our community? I mean, there might be a little uptick, but not from two to 340. I don't think that's what it is. I don't think the amount of challengers changed at all. What did? What did? It, it was my awareness of them. It was my awareness of them that, that changed. When I started to be aware of them, all of a sudden, I started seeing them everywhere. That's a good example of the gospel. When our gospel awareness increases, we are able to see the gospel more. Several years ago, we did something with our staff as a full year, or for a full year, um, and we called it Gospel Impact Stories. And um, in this every week, we all had to answer the question, how have I seen the gospel impact my life over the past seven days? And um, I will confess, that was hard at first. That was, I mean... We're just not all that aware sometimes. But over time, as you start to, it started to get easier. Over time, it started to get easier. Over time, I began to notice things throughout my day. And I'd be like, oh, give me my phone. I got to remember this. Over time, it got easier. Over time, my awareness grew. It was like my son and Dodge Challengers. All of a sudden, Challengers were everywhere. My gospel awareness grew. All of a sudden, I was able to see the gospel throughout my day. It wasn't that it wasn't already there. It was that my awareness of it was not there. This is our calling. And because this is our calling as elders, future elders, because this is our calling as the church, as followers of Jesus, to proclaim and to protect the gospel. Our ability to proclaim and to protect the gospel increases as our awareness of the gospel increases. So I want to ask you, have you seen the gospel impact your life in the past seven days? I want to give you a challenge this week. I want to challenge you to increase your gospel awareness. Throughout your upcoming week, I want to encourage you to ask and to answer this question. How have I seen the gospel impact my life yesterday? How have I seen the gospel impact my life today, this last week, this last year? Zoom all the way in, zoom out. Because as our gospel awareness increases, our ability to proclaim it and our ability to protect it increases as well. This matters greatly because unity matters. And not just unity, gospel unity. 
So Paul says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. This is going to happen. When it does, verse 11, they must be silenced. They're upsetting families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. Paul says, this will happen. And when it does, verse 13, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Paul says, elders proclaim and protect the gospel. At the same time, church, proclaim and protect the gospel. That we would be united in it. That our awareness would would increase. As we close in prayer, I'd like for us, I'd like to pray for us specifically that the Lord would help our gospel awareness increase. Because this isn't a Sunday morning thing. This is a your everything thing. That our awareness of the gospel would just grow this week, starting today and tomorrow and Tuesday. That the gospel would be like a Dodge Challenger for you this week. In fact, every time you see one, that would be a good cue. Every time you see a Dodge Challenger, think about how the gospel has impacted your life that our awareness would grow and the awareness of the gospel's impact would grow. So let's pray together. Lord, we need you. We need your help. We need your help. Lord, we know we stand on the fact that you have saved us, that you have called us, that you have redeemed us, that you have forgiven us, you have set us free, you've called us to be yours as your children. But Lord, so often we get distracted and forgetful, and so often we live our lives as though that doesn't matter. And I just pray for us as a people, as your people, as your church, that we would push against that. And the way we push against that is not by, it's not by our own effort, really. It's just simply looking at what you're doing being aware of how you're moving around us, being aware of the gospel work that is all around us. So Lord, would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear? Would you give us the awareness to be able to see what you are doing? And Lord, for anyone in this room, as we've talked about gospel awareness, as for anyone in this room who might be wrestling with the fact that I'm not sure I know the gospel. I'm not sure if I've responded to the gospel. I pray that you would move and that you would speak, that you would convict, and Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. And I pray that even in this moment, that as that conviction is there, as you are calling us to respond, I pray for anyone in this room who has not responded yet to the gospel, and I pray that this would be that moment where we would say, yes, Lord, I believe. That we would say, yes, Lord, would you forgive me? That we would say, yes, Lord, I believe in your son who died for me. That we would say, yes. That we would respond in faith. So Lord, would you move in these moments? 
in your power for your glory in Jesus' name.